Hello and welcome to another edition of the Radio Debrief Scottish Election Podcast. Since you last heard from us last week, I think it's fair to say there's been a significant change in the landscape of the election and we've just had our first leaders debate on Tuesday night. And joining me to talk about more on that is the one and only Stephen Brown. We've got some special guests this week, Stephen. Yes, we do. We have Isla Waiterley. Uh, who is doing a master's in journalism. And we also have Hugh Sloan, who's just about to start in the journalism department. So two people at two different times of their lives academically. What a wholesome message that one was. (laughs) Approximately a day after our last episode went out. So approximately a day after our last episode went out, the election changed completely with... Alex Salmond swaggering his way back onto the Scottish political scene and seeking public office again as leader of the newly formed Alipa Party. It's, what have we it, made of that over the last week, people? It's been quite a surprise. I mean, when he did announce it on Friday, you know, a lot of people did downplay it. A lot of people said it was going to be a failure. But uh, in 48 hours, he had two MPs in Westminster. He had Ken McCaskill, SNP, East Logan, and then he had Neil Hanvey uh, of the SNP as well, which are two quite big names in Westminster. He's also had Tommy Sheridan join. He's had former MP Cory Wilson join, and also Brian Topping, the longest-serving SNP councillor ever. So I think he's... Uh, you know, he's gathered quite a following in the big names. Mm. I think what it would be good to explain what the Alipa party are actually aiming to do. What they're aiming with is to be standing on the list part of the vote and to try and create what they call a supermajority for independence. Hugh, what do you think about the supermajority? I just don't know if I fully understand it because I think there's already kind of parties that are for independents who were standing. And I don't know, I mean, when you look at it, you can see that the SNP don't do particularly well on the list. And I think maybe if he had come out with this and there hadn't been a massive scandal behind his name, it wouldn't have been the same. It would have been like, oh, well, look, he's trying to help the SNP. But it does kind of look like a, just kind of a dig at the SNP rather than trying to get a supermajority. You know, it's interesting you say about, you know, making a dig at the SNP. You know, when you compare political, sort of these pop-up parties, if you will, to other pop-up parties, I mean, I mean, I make a comparison with Alba Party to the Brexit political party that we saw launched before the 2019 election. You know, the Alba Party have the main aim of independence, like the SNP, but they have more of an authoritarian approach to achieving that goal of independence. But uh, Isla, what do you think? Um, Well, I think it's just, it's very, um, what's the word? It's not very genuine of someone who's been accused of sexual harassment, which is a really serious issue. And there are women out there who have been subject to some of Alex Salmon's behaviour to see him come back into the political scene especially women who might be on the pro-independent side of politics as well, um, and to kind of take the publicity that's come with the trial over the last few weeks and run with that to make a new political party, I think it's it's definitely it's a very arrogant thing to do, and 
it's not something many people would be able to get away with but I think because of the nature of Alex Salmond and how he was first minister and things like that he's done it Um, who knows how effective it will be but that's for us to see I guess. I think it also sort of highlights his, his ability to do this I think it kind of shows that the Scottish government's mishandling of all of the issues surrounding Alex Salmond have kind of overshadowed his behaviour to the extent that he can actually now come back into public life and possibly even public office. So, I mean, there's just quite a lot to look at there. So, you know, maybe if the Scottish government handled the case of Alex Salmonen's sexual harassment claims, do you think he would have just you know, faded away into history? Or do, or do you think this has sort of spurred him on to continue with his seeking Scottish independence through his new Alpa party? I don't really know. I mean, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. So I don't really know whether we can say one way or the other. I think certainly his view or his seeming belief that he's been persecuted in some way by the Scottish government has certainly fueled some of this on. But I think it kind of made him look, and I think it does make him look just bitter and angry because he spent the kind of entire time when he was getting, you know, so-called prosecuted by the Scottish government, he spent the whole time going, well, I I don't have any interest of coming back into politics. I'd never had any interest of coming back into politics. And here he is standing for public office again. It just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem genuine to me anyway. I mean, Are you saying politicians aren't genuine? <laughs> <laughs> I de- what an accusation! <laughs> I, I remember very specifically when he was voted out of being an MP and MSP. He said, quote, you haven't seen the last of my bonnets in May. And that was before the sexual harassment uh, claims mm. came in. Goodness me. Yeah, it's... Um... He definitely seems to really like the limelight. Um, that's always an impression I've got. Um, I mean, I only really got interested in politics um, around about the 2014 referendum and um, maybe in the year before that. So obviously he was the big figure. That's when he was first minister. Um, and I haven't met him as such, but I've seen him at a few events and he's always, he definitely, you get the impression that he just loves being the main character. Um, he is the main character. He wants to be. Um, so, I mean... He obviously part of this, I'm sure, is him not wanting to be the him wanting to be the main character again, and wanting to be back in politics. Whether that's for um, personal reasons or whether it's to sort of it's due to this row um, with Sturgeon or the SNP or anything, um, he definitely likes being in the limelight. The question is, though, will it work? What What do we think about? What do we? What do we let's predict? Let's have a bit of wild speculation. What do we think the Alpha Party's performance is going to be like in the election? Do we think they'll actually work, or do we think most of the votes will go to the SNP and the Greens anyway? See, that's a really interesting question. But I pondered over quite a while. I mean, you know, he claims that a million votes were wasted in the list vote for the SNP back in 2016. There was a lot of wasted votes for the SNP. That is correct. It's of a question if people will change their minds to then vote for the Alpha Party or not. 
Uh, you, I mean, there's lots of list people you can vote for. There's obviously the Greens, but uh, the polls are predicting we're going to get 10 or 11 MSPs, which is very good for them. And then you have a raft of other parties that are predicted to get a number of seats. But the SNP at the minute only look like they're only going to um, pick up one list seat. But what is interesting is that Kenny McCaskill isn't standing for the South of Scotland list He's actually standing for the Highlands and Islands. And who else, uh, Conservative MP at the minute, is standing for the Highlands and Islands? Douglas it, Ross. I was going to say, isn't it everyone's favourite linesman? It, say, I, want, I wanted to say <laughs> Douglas Ross, but yeah, I was hoping it, it, it wouldn't it, be true. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. Douglas Ross is standing for the Highlands and Islands for their list. So it'd be interesting to see who actually votes for who in the list. But, uh, sorry... Steve Limelight, Island Hugh, what do you think? Um, I mean, I don't think, well, for me, anyway, where I am, I don't really see much talk about the party in terms of I'm going to vote for them. It always just seems to be they're making a complaint about this or they're angry about this or there's never ever talk about policy or seriously people wanting to vote for them. I mean, I imagine there will be people who want to vote for them and for the party, but I'm kind of yet to see that, especially in polls as well. Yeah, we definitely we definitely need to see more polls coming out about the Alpha Party because we haven't uh, had one including them yet. But uh, I'm sure we'll see that very very soon. Isla, what do you think? Um, I guess a lot of my sort of social interaction with other politically minded people comes from Twitter at the moment, um, and most of my circle are left wing um, quite progressive socially um, so people who are pro-independence and maybe wouldn't want to vote for the SNP they'd almost definitely go for the Greens rather than ALPA um, just because and a lot of them just don't like Alex Salmond because of sexual harassment just a whole, whole host of things um, but as we've seen before Twitter and your own circle can be such an echo chamber so I've and I'm not too sure on what the exact issues are within like the SNP internal drama so I mean it's really hard to tell um yeah I think I think the the Alipa party kind of shot themselves in the foot almost I think there was an opportunity for them to try and steal some votes effectively from the SNP by carefully wording policy on the gender recognition act which has caused a lot of controversy and sort of I think the I think the Alipa party have missed an opportunity here to almost steal some votes from the SNP with their views on the Gender Recognition Act. If they worded their public viewpoint on that and the SNP's well documented issues with transphobia, I think there was an opportunity for Alipa to try and maybe get some votes from the SNP that way. But they've not massively helped themselves with their view on that and stating they're against it. So those votes will more than likely now go to the Greens. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking is um, by them only running in the list, um, it's really going to be taking votes away from other non-SNP parties, which I guess is Alex Salmon's intention. But it's not how the system should work. It's not the point. It's quite unfair, actually. Um, like obviously the Greens mainly they all run on all the lists but they don't run on every constituency and that's because they're quite a small party but they don't just run on the list and I kind of almost think they shouldn't be allowed to do that And uh, well it's called democracy isn't it um, anyone can Supposedly. pop up a political party 
especially just before an election, but it's become very popular in recent times. Because we are in the midst of the election, this week saw the first leaders debate of the campaign, and we have had an inside man on debate night. Stephen, <laughs> you were actually on the programme, so why don't you tell us a bit about your experience of being on the programme and not being asked a single question? <laughs> uh, yeah, the experience is fantastic. Um, it was around about a month ago I applied. Uh, Stephen Jardine had a wee promo during his weekly debate night and they just said apply here if you wish to take part I applied I had numerous uh, zoom calls numerous uh, emails back and forth phone calls about trying to be a participant uh, at the end of the day uh, there was 40 of us picked out of 1200 applicants which is quite it's quite a small pool of people picked it was a great experience uh, I've got a wee few notes popped down uh, so we were all put in a big Zoom call. We all ch chatted to the producers, and it was a really fun experience. Uh, we got to chat to the leaders a little bit before it all kicked off when we heard their uh, monologue and chat about the upcoming debate. And uh, Willie Rennie and Lorna Slater were talking about what order they go in on camera to show them to the TV audience. And then Nicholas Sturgeon had a quick jibe in and said, is this a prediction for the election? Uh, because they kept talking about, oh, who's first and who's second and whatnot. And uh, Nicola got in a wee jibe about, is this a prediction for the election? So it was quite fun. And then it, it, it just went on to the debate night after then. We had uh, lots of questions from lots of people. And then we had notably, I think it was Jim, who was uh, the, 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 the standout... Uh, audience member who asked a question or was it more of a statement Alistair it could be said that I have to say my favourite part of, of watching debate night was the bit at the beginning when you were in the very centre of the screen and they asked the audience to applaud and you were a good 30 seconds behind everyone else and looked very surprised see the thing is we did uh, a wee record of us clapping already and I thought that that was just going to be used for the live show just before it all kicked off. No, I was very wrong. <laughs> all of a sudden, I just saw a wee square of around about 40 people clapping and then looking, is that a recording or is that actually live? And I saw myself just in the middle of it all, not clapping, went, oh, God, I've got to clap as well. So that's what happened there. But uh, that's my excuse. But yeah, o overall, it was a great experience. And uh, I definitely you know, tell people to go and apply. Uh, ITV at the minute are looking for people. And the next, you know, the next debate night is on the 13th of April, STV with Colin Mackay, which should be a fantastic uh, debate. Uh, it was today that Alex Salmond has announced he is writing to Ofcom to complain that he should be in the leaders' debate as well. So on to the leaders' debate. Yes, what did we all make of the performances? I personally thought Anna Sarwar was the standout 
of that debate. Well, I, I think we agree. should. Uh, I, I I think we should hear from Hugh first because he did a really good article for us on the website. Hugh, take us away with your oh, political analysis. Thank you. Um, I think for me and kind of watching it, and I don't know if it's. I don't want to say this, where I'm kind of polit- politically aligned, but I don't think it is. I would say I'd agree. I think Anna Sarwar and Lorna Slater, I think they did really, really well. I think they both stood out with their policy, with their kind of standing up to the government as well, because I mean, the SNP have been in for what, 14 years in government? So it's been quite some time. Um, I think Douglas Ross, he was just Douglas Ross, wasn't he? I think he spoke to his base predominantly. <laughs> I don't, it didn't really seem like he was trying to win anyone over. You know, I'm, if you're going to vote SNP or Labour, you weren't going to suddenly think, oh, you know what, after that, I'm going to vote for the Conservatives. I don't think that's going to happen. And I mean, Willie Rennie, he's, he seems like a nice person, and he does. And I think, you know, <laughs> I, think he came, I think he came across really, really nice, but he didn't sound like a man fighting to be First Minister. He kind of spoke as a man who was kind of like, I like being the Lib Dem leader. You know, that's, that's kind of good enough for me. And it gave off the air of just being a publicised, very publicised First Minister's question time. Like, it didn't really seem like anyone was fighting particularly to be the next First Minister, because Nicola Sturgeon just seemed quite unbothered by everything as well. I, I also think it kind of... The rest of them came across very, very well and very clued up and very in the know on the thing, whereas Douglas Ross seemed to turn up with his pre-prepared yeah, yeah, taglines. And I, there's also... There's a thing on Twitter, a lot of people have gone through it and counted how many times they all said the word referendum. Nicola Sturgeon, well. Lorna Slater and Willie Rennie all said it once. Sarah Smith, the the, uh, the presenter, said it four times. The audience said it five times. Anna Sarwar also said it five times. And Douglas Ross said it 16 times. 16 times. It, you know, I just found it oh, funny sorry. because... I, I just found it funny because... Um, a lot of what Douglas Ross was saying was, oh, um, independence and other referendums going to be so divisive, so divisive. But then he keeps bringing it up. I know. And I just think that's I think he's trying like, to well... scare people back into not wanting it because that's what worked the last time. You know, the majority of people didn't want independence last time because, you know, it was this kind of scaremongering of what's yeah. going to happen. Like, you're going to get dragged out of the EU. You're not going to get to keep the pound. And I mean... The pound's not doing particularly well at the moment and we've been taken out of the EU. So those things did happen, you know, independent or not. And I think they're relying on scaring us into not wanting another referendum and, you know, putting Union Jacks everywhere to convince us what a great nation this is. I think it's also... Yeah, that's not going to work this time round. It won't, I don't think. I think it's worth pointing out as well that the Tories seem to be running this campaign so far, at least from what I've seen, on the single issue of a no to a second independence referendum. And they tried that before in December 2019 in the general election then, and they ended up losing the vast majority of their seats in Scotland to SNP candidates. I I completely agree for Douglas Ross, you know, he sort of kept his, definitely kept his Conservative voters base who are anti-independence voters, but let's hear from Isla, who wants to talk about Anna Sarwar. Yeah, so I think he performed really well. Um, one gripe I've had a bit with Labour, well, I mean, since the referendum, is that they're too focused on uh, opposing another referendum, um, as, as I would say the Conservatives are. 
But I think that Anas was very good in having quite a nuanced view in that he was reiterating that, you know, he doesn't support a referendum, he doesn't support independence, but there's no point in keep talking about um, things that we can't do. We have to focus on what we can do, um, especially with regards to COVID recovery. And also um, with the fact that Douglas Ross was saying he didn't want to work with any other parties that support independence. And then literally all the other candidates were just like, that's ridiculous, we all need to work together. And I think that's the right attitude. Um, I mean, that's a compliment to all of them, apart from Douglas Ross. Mm. Um, just because in the nature of a parliament that's more proportional, you kind of have to do that. Um, and especially when it comes to COVID recovery, because everyone's been impacted by COVID. It doesn't matter, as Anna said, it doesn't matter whether you're a yes voter or a no voter or anything. Um, and I think his, yeah, he was performed really well. He was very nuanced in his takes. And um, I think a lot of, I, th I think that it could have led some people who were maybe not so sure about independence or the SNP, they might be able to sway towards Scottish Labour as an alternative. But who knows? It's hard to tell after Scottish Labour has been doing mm. so badly for such a long time. D definitely. I mean, I think Anasara had a strong performance. He was a rap. I think my main sort of point that I definitely didn't see was people being specific about how the recovery will work mm -hmm. in the next assembly. That's one thing that I sort of took up on that nobody seems to be specific well, on how that was, will work. But there I mean, was one person who was specific, whether you agree with her viewpoint or not. Nicola Sturgeon is the only person that actually offered a policy. Mm towards a recovery and that is an independence referendum whether you agree with that or not it is a policy mm. and she was the only one that offered any concrete policy on that issue but yeah exactly that's definitely something but sorry i just want to finish just a little bit off uh, i think although it was a funny moment for anna sarwar when he told douglas ross to grow up close to the end i feel like he may have lost sort of the moral high ground telling him to grow up. I've seen that quite a but lot. Saying, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I they think you were saying what was thinking. They were talking about prejudice and attacks on people for their political views and Douglas Ross came in and tried to make it all about him. Especially for an ass who's obviously of an ethnic minority um, and is more susceptible to attacks online and the fact that Douglas Ross tried to come in and make it about him and also about independence again when it was completely not about that. I it's also it the, question, the question that was asked as well at that point is if there's any abuse from any of your political supporters to any other ones over political views, would you condemn it? And everyone else said yes and Douglas Ross never actually answered that. Yeah, I noticed that he didn't really answer a lot of questions. Like he, he, it looked like he came with pre-prepared answers and was trying to. I mean, that's what politicians do. Um, was trying to worm his message into all of them, and uh, to some extent, all of the politicians did that. But it was particularly obvious with him. Well, there's definitely someone we have not mentioned yet, and that is Lorna Slater. She had an absolute belter of a performance, I thought. Yeah, she had a fantastic performance. I think she also, not not to have a wee pile on against Douglas Ross, but she took him down rather effectively when she was, and they were talking about climate change and Douglas Ross started talking about jobs in the oil and gas sector. Yeah, Douglas Ross mentioned the £16 billion investment by Westminster to help out the oil and gas in uh, Aberdeenshire, and she, she, was, uh, you know, she was furious about it. 
because you know she wants the environment at the key of a recovery of Scotland during the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, I feel like she did very well for the Greens. I think, I think how she spoke, it was, I think when you talk about the environment, it's a lot of, well, we have to do this and we have to do this, otherwise, you know, the world's going to end and it's all very dramatic. But the way she spoke, it was like, right, well, if we actually do these steps of, you know, renewing Scottish homes and fixing out Scottish rail and things like that, these will actually have effective differences on the environment. And she didn't really scaremonger either. It was kind of, you know, we do have to act now, but it wasn't like the end of the world that we're kind of always told about. I think also that will really appeal to young people because obviously young people are leading the fight against climate change um, with people like Greta Thunberg and things like that. So I think, um, yeah, the Greens, I think Lorna performed really well and I think the Greens will get a lot of support from younger people. I'm all for any policy that fixes Scottish Rail. <laughs> oh, me, me too. That was that. When, and when Nicola Sturgeon mentioned the four-day working week, I was like, "Oh, I can, I can definitely get on board with that." That's oh yeah. And there was also Same. there was also one policy that I saw Lorna Slater and Sturgeon agree with, and that was a universal basic basic income, which uh, it, it had a little moment of talking about it. But Alistair, what do you think about a universal basic income? I think it's a good idea, and I think. COVID has shown that it is a good idea and I think it is something we will probably be seeing implemented within the next 10 to 20 years. I think Anna Sarwar was right, he said this was the perfect time to trial it but it does seem to come down to the fact that it's not really something the Scottish Government can fully do with the current Westminster Government because they don't have the powers to do it properly although they have said they are looking into seeing how they can do it as far as their powers allow. But I do. Th I think it's something we'll be seeing within the next ten to twenty years. <laughs> I, I like you know. You know a lot about Labour. Do, 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 have you seen any policies by Labour about a universal income? Um, not so much. I mean, obviously, Anas said that um, Labour would well, they they would be keen to see how it would work and that it should have been trialled over the pandemic. It was a good time to do that. Which and I also appreciate the point that it's hot. Like there are some powers that are still held by Westminster that would make it harder to do that um, from a Scottish government perspective. Um, and on a UK level, um, with regards to um, Westminster Labour politicians, I'm not actually sure. Um, I'm fairly sure that some politicians have expressed support, but there's not been any obvious policy. It's definitely something that's been more in the hands of the Greens, both on a Scottish and a UK level, um, in terms of supporting universal basic income. So thank you all very much for joining us and thank you very much for listening in and we will see you again sometime in the future. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye.